Hey everyone, welcome to episode 262 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by a photographer who now lives on the far northeast coast of the United Kingdom, where he creates incredible portraits of rocks and other natural wonders on the coast near his home. Ever since I saw his images in the Natural Landscape Photography Awards, I knew David Southern would make for a very interesting guest here on the podcast. We dive deep into his journey into photography through a long corporate career in IT, and I think this week's show has something for everyone, so thanks for tuning in. Before we dive in, I wanted to ask for your help. We have seen another dip in financial support on Patreon. I get it, times are tough right now. However, We never ever recovered from our height in February of 2020, yet listener numbers have continued to go up, which is awesome, but also kind of discouraging. I also get that for some of you, $5 a month is a lot to ask, but if you can spare it, it really would help a lot. FSOP Collaborate and Listen is an independent, listener-supported production. This value-for-value business model keeps the podcast accountable only to you, the listeners, This business model functions on the honor system, and so if you found any value in this podcast, please contribute to make sure it continues to inform and entertain you for many years to come. Please consider supporting the podcast on Patreon. It's easy. We've embedded links to our Patreon site on every episode show notes. So while you listen, please take a second and pitch in. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, David Southern, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's, um, thank you very much for uh, inviting me along. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I first became familiar with your photography because you submitted a project to the Natural Landscape Photography Awards, and we were all really impressed with your, with your, with your photographic work. And then, of course, a bunch of my friends on Instagram started sharing a bunch of your photos, and I was like, okay, this guy's good. And I just want, I want to learn more about this guy. So here we are. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very good. I'm um, quite uh, quiet on social media, really, just kind of building up a presence slowly, bit by bit, just by word of mouth rather than a uh, kind of a marketing campaign, really. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I don't think you're missing out on much. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people put too much emphasis on their social media presence, although, you know. You, it can leave people who are incredibly talented kind of left to the unknown. But other than that, it's not a big deal, probably. I like to feel my growing audience a part of almost a growing family. And, you know, the comments I get, I recognize the same sort of people commenting all the time. So it's 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 nice. It feels something that um, I'm in control of at the moment, which is good. I love that. I love that. Well, I mean, we could probably talk about social media for like 12 hours, but, you know, we're here to talk about you. So... Uh, for people who aren't familiar with you and your photography, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, I'm semi-retired, um, but my wife would certainly say that I'm a full-time photographer. Um, I don't like to use the uh, expression professional because it has strange connotations for some people. But, Thank you. You know, um, so I, I just say I'm, I'm a full-time photographer and kind of leave it at that. Um I live in the northeast of England, 
um, just close to the Scottish border. I, I live on the coast, so most of my photography since I've moved here in the last six years has been um, coastal photography. In, in, in fact, um, I was brought up, I, I grew up close to the sea uh, on a peninsula surrounded by salt water on three sides, so wow. I do think I've kind of got some salt water in my blood somewhere. So it's, uh, yeah. um, I am attracted to getting back to the coast. Yeah. So I do, uh, I do workshops and, uh, presentations and some teaching and some mentoring, which, which I really enjoy. And I've just, um, completed my first book. Brilliant. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk a lot about your book here in the podcast and. I'm a little jealous of having ocean so close. You know, I live in the middle of the country here in the United States. And while I do have desert and mountains uh, at my disposal, I do not have any coast. <laughs> yeah, I, I must admit, I would find it difficult to move away now. I, I lived for... Um, I lived in the southeast of England for, for nearly 30 years and uh, I kind of missed being close to the sea. But yeah, every, every day, uh, whether it's uh, for photography or not, every day I, I do get down to uh, to the coast. Brilliant. Well, let's let's talk about your photography journey. You know, what got you into photography and where did it where did it take you? Yeah, well, the first time. The first time I really held a camera was when I was at college um, in London and uh, I managed to get myself onto uh, an astronomy semester. I was actually studying biology at the time, but I got myself onto an astronomy semester and um, started taking pictures of the moon through a telescope. So the very first image I took was of the surface of the moon, uh, which was great. And, and at college, I got to um, learn all about Darkroom techniques, you know, it was completely manual um, SLR on those days, film camera, um, black and white film as well. So it was just a great introduction to do the groundwork, if you like. To And I say to a lot of people when I'm out on workshops and things, you know, um, it really helps to, to use a kind of manual camera and understand the relationship between um, shutter speed and aperture and ISO and all those kind of basics, which a lot of people buy a new DSLR or a, or a mirrorless camera and they kind of haven't got that grounding in the basics. And I think the more you get into photography, the more you need to understand those basics to, to get more out of it. So, so basically I started, um, a university and I borrowed the college, the college camera. I didn't have my own. And I used to go out into the streets of London, um, taking, taking images. And, uh, I, I lived in a, a fairly run down poor part of London, which it was at the time in the early eighties. You know, London wasn't quite the rich cosmopolitan city that it is today. Sure. You know, and, and, and the UK wasn't going through a great time in terms of its economy. So it was great to go out with a camera onto the streets of London and, and and, and just talk to people and and, and take images, uh, really gritty type of images as well. And I suppose I was young and fearless and, and bold and kind of didn't mind going up to people and having a conversation and saying, do you mind if I take your picture? It's kind of innocent and thought I was indestructible as you do when you're young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did, what did you do with those images that you took back then? 
Well, I would I would love to have them now. Unfortunately, they were oh. all lost in a house fire. Oh no! Yeah, wow. um, it wasn't my house. They were at my my mum's house at the time, and um, nobody was nobody was uh, nobody was hurt in the fire. But uh, all my early images were lost, unfortunately. And I, I would love to see them now. I'd love to think see them because some of them are like historical documents. Um, I remember getting people to stand in front of a big billboard poster and the poster was, uh, London is drowning uh, because we didn't have a big barrier across the Thames like we do now to to um, to close if, if, uh, if there was a threat of London th- flooding. So there was, you know, they're like historical documents now and uh, and uh, it was a very mixed racial area as well, and there was some tensions around with, and, and it was it was a great thing to document. So unfortunately, yeah. I can't go back in time to um, to reproduce those. Yeah, but I bet that spending that time with that varied subject matter probably gave you a lot of really great foundation in terms of understanding light and composition and and probably helped you develop kind of what your own personal take is on your own photography. Yes, yes, it did. It certainly got me understanding, you know, some of the rules about composition. And also the darkroom stuff was really useful as well, just to understanding how, how a print is, really works. Um, unfortunately, I, I didn't have, as I said, I didn't have my own camera. When I graduated uh, from university, instead of going into um, gainful employment at that time, I... Uh, Got a one-way ticket to South America and um, and took myself off for a couple of years. To uh, I landed in Lima and spent a, a good time traveling around South America and uh, taking snapshots in my mind's eye. You know, um, and I'd, I'd love to think that those um, snapshots of life in in South America back in the eighties, I'll be able to. One day, technology will allow me to uh, send those to print. Well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that would be an amazing technology, but it probably would put all of us out of business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it will happen someday. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're probably not wrong. Well, I, I would love to hear more about your journeys uh, to South America. Um, and I'm curious, you know, you said you didn't really have a camera, but I'm wondering if that experience um, taught you anything about photography or helped you kind of formulate what it is you are interested in in terms of your subjects. Yeah, it certainly did because, you know, nature um, is, is really my, my, my chosen subject in, in, in photography. Um, and traveling around, there wasn't a great deal of tourism in, 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 in Peru in, in, in the eighties. There was a, there was a kind of a terrorist problem in the background and there wasn't a lot of people traveling around. So I could go to places like, uh, Machu Picchu and put a sleeping bag down and just sleep there for the night, you know, uh, which sounds incredible in this day and age, but you know, I, we, I could do that at the time. And it was, it, it was, I, as I say, I would take physically almost take snapshots just to retain those images. Um, and I, you know, I'd, I'd look and understand the light and, and those sorts of things and think, wouldn't it be lovely to have something to be able to capture that with? Um, I was probably quite naive from a photography point of view, but at least you know I was I was always seeing seeing the seeing the image uh, as I say in my mind's eye at the time, which was uh, which was, and I've retained those many of those images. I think. Yeah, yeah. It, um, 
I'm wondering, have you ever wanted to go back? Um, I've, I've traveled quite a lot since, but I've, I've never been to, I've never been to Peru after spending two years there in the eighties. I'm, I'm not sure I want to. Um, for the simple reason is it will have changed, uh, beyond recognition when I was there. Lima was, was kind of a, an ex- really exciting, earthy place at the time. And people who've been tell me it's a, it's more of a high rise modern city now. And, and traveling was quite a, quite a challenge. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd get on one of those South American buses for three, spend three days going down to Chile on the coast road. And I'd be the only, um, I'd be the only gringo on the, on the bus sort of thing, you know. And, and it was just a fantastic formative experience to do in your early twenties. And I think if I went back, I'd, I'd probably be a, a bit disappointed. So there's plenty of the world I haven't seen. Sure. And I'd like to see. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's almost like you don't want to ruin the nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't queue up to get to, you know, train tickets to cross the Andes when you could just jump on a train and at one point, you know, and as it slowed down on a on a bend in the track sort of thing, you know, and that's what we were doing and just wow. just traveling like that. I'm sure it's a bit more sophisticated these days. Right, right, and. Potentially more dangerous, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or maybe less dangerous. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's probably less dangerous now. It was quite, you know, there was a number of scary incidents. You know, I was, I was on a train once, and we were told to get off the train, and the next thing is the a bomb went off on the track just in front of it and stuff oh, like this. Yeah. So there was loads of stuff going on there, you know, and um, kind of a lot of kidnappings going on at the time. It was. Uh, yeah, it was wow. formative, formative years. <laughs> Indeed. Well, on your website, um, I believe you kind of describe yourself as more of a, like a generalist photographer. Um, but I find that when I look at your work, a lot of the same themes are kind of running throughout your photography. And I'd be curious if you might be able to try to describe that for us. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very much... Uh, feel that nature's at the heart of my photography. Um, I don't really get on with photographing in groups and things. I like to be out there exploring on my own. Um, I, I love wildlife. I love landscapes. You know, I, I, love, I love the sea. And, and more and more, my photography is, is get, I'm spending more time doing this type of photography rather than trying to just capture something because, I think I feel as if I ought to capture it. So, you know, these days I'm not interested in going and capturing cityscapes so much. Um, it doesn't really give me the satisfaction that I get from spending a couple of hours exploring the coastline, looking for some patterns or some, some form or um, just something of interest, some light, some reflection, you know, just, just kind of homing down on the final details the more intimate details of a landscape so I, I i just get more satisfaction with if you like develop my own art um in that respect finding my own voice rather than being derivative of other people's work and things in in different genres yeah i, I love a, a lot of what you just said right there speaks to me i hear i hear a lot of what you're saying is about kind of giving yourself permission to just spend time with what you love 
And that really speaks to me quite deeply. I, I find I found in my own personal journey as a photographer that I spent several years chasing scenes and chasing other people's photos and, you know, making photos that I thought would satisfy people on social media or people that, you know, follow me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for a time, that's kind of exciting when you can pull it off. But uh, it quickly, I quickly became aware that it was not personally satisfying. But it took me a long time to let go of that, like, and just give myself permission to to do the thing I want to do. And I'm curious if that was kind of a similar experience for you or kind of what that transition looked like in your situation. Yeah, um, I, it was actually, Matt. That, that kind of resonates with with um, the kind of transition I went through, certainly when I, I, I gave up my, um, my full-time job working in IT, although it was for a, a conservation organisation. So the the uh, mission of the organisation was was very close to my heart. But when I first um, stopped doing that and moved to the um, northeast, I was taken in by the wonderful stretch of coastline that I, I live on. You know, we've got amazing castles perched on rocky outcrops into the North Sea and vast sandy bays, you know. I thought, oh, fantastic. This is, this is great. And, and, the, the the I kind of was initially really at, uh, attracted, kind of capturing that, and I thought actually I want to look a little bit beyond that. I need to look a little bit deeper and and find my own voice. These these things have been photographed many many times and photographed really really well. And in, unless you've got some phenomenal meteorological conditions. Or, or lighting, it's going to be very difficult to do something that really lifts um, lifts those images out of the thousands of images we see of of this beautiful coastline that we live on. So I kind of wanted to find something that was a bit more me. And I can walk along the beach and people are treading on shells and I'll set up my camera, my tripod and and taking pictures of things that people are walking over and they'll, they'll come up to me and they'll say, have you found something nice? Well, it's not a question I can really answer, to be quite honest. But, you know, yeah, I have found something nice and the rest of you are just kind of ignoring it because there's a beautiful, you know, scene in front of you of a, of a, of a castle at the end of a sandy bay. Well, actually, at your feet, there's a myriad of colourful shells and shapes of weathered sedimentary sandstone and those sorts of things and they're the kind of things which really excite me yeah what what is it about those things that excites you well it's 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 a it's a voyage of discovery um hmm. if you'll excuse the pun um it, because in finding shape and pattern in form in 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 what is small what are small areas of of the coast that don't seem uh, on first glance particularly spectacular or intriguing or interesting. Finding something in those really, you know, excites me. And I, I spend hours doing it. Sometimes I don't find anything that really, you know, resonates with me. But when a, a composition comes together in my mind, it's you know, I, I just find that really, really exciting. And then I kind of think, actually, it needs something else in there. Maybe it needs a piece of 
seaweed in there. And I won't put that in there. I'll, I'll wait for nature to provide that. I'll wait for a tide to sweep something in or, or sweep something off a rock. And, uh, because I, I very much don't want to, um, add anything into my images that, that weren't there in the original shot. Um, and I don't take things out that weren't there in the original shot apart from the obvious kind of cleaning up the, the muck in this, on my camera lens, which is always there. It's a sea spray and, and everything. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I want to, I want to, you know, I just kind of capture those very natural elements that are often overlooked, I think. Mm. Yeah. And it's funny. I think back to even just five years ago, uh, my own, journey. I mean, I used to live on the coast of Oregon. Well, close. To, I lived in Portland, which is like an hour from the coast. And I used to go to the coast all the time, but I would never, ever, ever shoot anything except for like the night sky or sunsets or sunrises, you know, big wide angle scenes. And I'm sure I walked over on the beach, all kinds of really interesting stuff over the course of two years and never even took interest in it. But I think some of that's just like part of the journey, you know, like once you kind of try out those bigger scenes and I don't know, maybe it just stops to be as of interesting to you. And then you're just like, okay, what else can I find? Or I don't, I don't know, because I've heard a lot of people talk about this as they get further into photography. Usually it's like five or 10 years after they pick up a camera, they start to, I don't know, either open their mind or they just get bored with the other stuff or and it sounds like for you, it might have been kind of a mixture of both a little bit. Yeah, I think it was more discovering my own voice, um, wanting to this. This is this is my style, and this is how I'm really seeing things. And and I I've, I've travelled the coast of Oregon, and I came back with some pictures of sea stacks and sure. fantastic <laughs> famous feasters. But I never came back with this the small kind of uh, intimate landscapes, the minimalist stuff, the wonderful, colourful, you know, um, sea corals and anemones and all that sort of lovely sea life because I was too taken in by the fantastic Oregon and Washington coastlines, of course. And and I don't think that really – and, and I, don't, I, I never even review those photographs now. They're not on my website. I'm, I'm not going to print them. Um, and, and part of it is – is kind of knowing your own patch. You know, in the last few years, we've all gone through the pandemic where we couldn't really travel, where we couldn't move much. And and that was a really, um, that was a very focusing experience for me. And um, within the restrictions we all had of traveling, I could travel to a local kittyweight colony on the coast here. So I spent a, a whole summer in the company of thousands of noisy seabirds, which was great. I loved it. It's called my seabird summer. And I, I did a kind of few articles on, on this. Um, but that spending time just seeing more, understanding more, it, it's been a really good journey because when I do workshops, I say, I can say to people, actually, we won't go here today because at this time of year, I know those rocks will be covered in seaweed because the seasons are changing and, the, and it's going to be a load of kelp churned up by the sea. Um, so we need to go somewhere else. Or so we can't go here because, you know, the seabirds have gone out to, to sea at this time of year. There's not going to, going to be there but a load of empty nests. Or we'll go to this place because I know the seals have just uh, are coming out to bask on the sand dunes and this sort of So the more you explore the local area, the more you understand. And I think the more you see as well. 
Oh, I totally agree. It's it's funny. I think for myself, I just you know where I'm at now. Anyway, maybe it'll change in a year or two or ten. But I'm just interested in everything. It's like I am. I'm like I used to be so hyper focused on very specific big scenes, and now I'm just interested in all of it that I'm so easily distracted, which I think is probably a good thing. Like I'm never bored anymore when it comes to being out in the field. I'm always finding something that catches my attention that I want to, you know, explore with the camera. So I think taking that approach of understanding a place and, and tapping into like what really interests you and giving yourself the, the freedom to explore it without external validation or pressure. I think that, I think that can make you a very happy photographer. Yeah, it, it frees the mind. It's it's quite liberating from a creative point of view, and and that's what I enjoy about it. And having said that, I I always boast that I've always got at least two cameras with me wherever I go. Um, one of them being my phone, of course, and the other one being a, a kind of a um, a fairly sophisticated compact camera at the very least because you never know when that you know the light's going to get great and it, you know you want to capture that a, a little story last last on my birthday last year uh, my wife took me out for a meal and uh, it was in a coastal restaurant so it wasn't a photography tip at all but I took my 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 good quality compact camera with me and it had been a really cloudy sort of day but the minute we stepped out of the restaurant late in the evening, the clouds broke and there was some absolutely magical light. It was one of those moments where, ah, oh, that's brilliant, you know, kind of rainbows over the over the harbour and framing boats and this sort of stuff. So, you know, that's, that's the point. Is that I te- I'll take the camera everywhere with me as, as well as being very focused on when I do go out on a particular photo trip because those magical moments, they do happen when you least expect sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I I used to do that too, but I, I, I can't do it anymore just because, um, I don't know, maybe it's the way I'm wired, but like if I'm out with dinner with my wife and then I have the camera with me, all I can think about is taking pictures. And <laughs> so like, I need to like separate the two so that I can give my undivided attention to my family. But I appreciate other people who are able to separate the two and do them at the same time. <laughs> well, well, there's a, there's a skill. There's a skill for playing Happy Families Day. You know, let's not let's not pretend it's easy. It's, a, <laughs> it's you know, self discipline is always a, a good thing. Yeah, for sure. I'm just saying I don't have any self discipline. So, <laughs> <laughs> well. I know earlier you talked about um, having a career in IT, and I'd be curious to hear you talk about how you were able to balance your career in, in IT with such a burning passion for photography. Yeah, and um, it was at times frustrating. At times, you kind of had to take your chances when you presented with them. I, I when I first um, when my career took off in IT. I, I was able to travel with, with my work. So I was, and, and to some quite great places, um, around the world. They weren't necessarily out in nature, but, you know, there's some great cities in the world to photograph. You know, I was going to Denver, Toronto, Kuala Lumpur, you know, really photogenic, you know, Singapore, the great place to photograph. So I'd take my camera and, you know, I'd, I'd do whatever work I'd needed to do there and probably tag on a couple of days leave in the location where I was. So it gave me that sort of um, 
that, that fix, if you like, um, and not feeling like I'd forgotten a great opportunity to take photographs in a fantastic location. But it's still a bit frustrating. It wasn't really on my time. And you were trying to squeeze, you know, as much as you could into 48 hours in a, in, a, in a location. So you never really got to know it very well. You never really got out, you know, into, into the sticks, as we say, into, into the, into nature very much. So that was early on. And then I started working for the World Wildlife Fund. I know other charities do exist, but I will promote the World Wildlife Fund because they do some great work. Um, and, and fortunately, um, although I was working in IT, I did manage to get myself out to some of their projects globally because I used my uh, photography to record some of their projects out in the field and they could use the material for their, for their marketing means. So, you know, I'd, I'd go out to somewhere like Columbia and work in their head office. Um, but also get a few days out into, um, into the jungle perhaps to work with one of their projects and kind of record the work they were doing in their projects to, to connect that back to the people who, who are, uh, f- fundraising for, for the organizations. So that, that gave me some really nice opportunities there, you know, and as I say, there was some in South America and Southeast Asia, um, as well as in UK based type projects as well. Um, and, and fortunately enough, uh, I worked in a location that was only about 20 miles from where I lived. And the two points were connected by a river. So I could get off early in the morning and get on my mountain bike and set off with my camera and catch the lovely light and the mist on the, on, on the river, you know, at certain times of the year and kind of do an hour's photography and commute at the same time. So I'd, I'd feel as if I'd sort of uh, scratched that itch um, and then I could focus on a proper day's work rather than feeling, you know, I want to be out there with my camera because I'd already got some uh, photography behind me so, and, and I could do the same cycling back home during the day. So it was, it was, um, it was a happy compromise. I could, I could, I could indulge in my passion for photography and and do some work as well. And of course, you know, any leave I took, I'd, I'd go off traveling. And so I wanted to do some travel photography, which was great. But that was, I, I used to find that so frustrating because when you've got two weeks in a place, you know, you, you're not where you kind of want to be at the right times of day, the right times of night. Um, if you're traveling independently, it can be quite frustrating, um, organizing internal travel in, in some places, which, uh, it's quite challenging to, to take public transport and those sort of things, or even, uh, even, you know, some places where it's difficult to drive. Um, so, so that was always a bit of a compromise as well, but I managed to get some photography in. Uh, it sounds, Fairly similar to my current situation. You know, I have a full-time job also. And so I try to get out and take pictures as much as I can, but probably not as much as I would like to. And, you know, I'm kind of an existentialist. Like I don't really put a whole lot of energy into regret or things of that nature. But I'm curious from your perspective, looking back on your own life, um, what would you have done differently, if anything, around trying to balance the photography with the work or going all in on photography or, or would you have done it exactly the same? That's a really, that's a really good question, Matt, actually. Uh, and, do you know, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a really 
kind of happy place with my photography as we speak today. And having a career in IT has made has allowed me to be in this position now, uh, where I'm young enough to feel as if, you know, I can go on and do this for many, many years more. I've, you know, I've got the energy and the drive and the, um, and the thrust to do that, which, which, which is fantastic. So I'm like you, I, I don't kind of regret, um, it, you know, the journey was meant to be philosophically. Yeah. If I'd set out on a different path, in my teenage years to say, you know, I, I, I want to be a, travel photographer you know there, there was a time where you know I thought I could do that when I um came back from South America I, I went to Guatemala and um was fortunate enough to find myself at the top of an active volcano when it was erupting so I took some images there they were the first images I had published they were in a newspaper a magazine and a book and I thought great I'll um I'll I'll take pictures of active uh, volcanoes for uh, a living, but you know it's kind of expensive, impactful, and life shortening. So, uh, so that that sort of you know reality kicked in pretty soon, and I don't have any regrets. I love that. You know, you you definitely have, seems like you've lived a pretty full life, and I'm curious if you have any words of inspiration for some of our younger audience who might find themselves in a similar situation where, you know, that maybe they're early on in their career and they're, they love photography, but they know that it's incredibly difficult to make photography a full-time evocation. I'm curious kind of what words of wisdom would you have for someone like that who's listening? Yeah, well, I think, and I was, you know, I was saying, I was doing a mentoring session uh, last night, actually, and I was, I was, I was having a conversation um, around. Uh, we were actually going through um, this. This uh, individual put together a shortlist for a competition they're going to enter, and they wanted me to review their shortlist. And after we went through the shortlist, and and we kind of filtered through that, and I said. Do you know all the ones that we've filtered out, which is now the ones you're probably going to put forward for the competition, they were all taken within a 10-mile radius of, of where you live. So all these great trips you've done, travelling everywhere, the ones that have yielded the, the best fruit for you are the ones where you've kind of really known your patch. You hadn't had to go out there. You've just seen something which has resonated with you. Um so if I was going to offer somebody words of wisdom, I was thinking, you know, you don't have to travel to the ends of the necessarily have to travel to the ends of the earth to take good pictures. They're probably on your doorstep, and that's probably where your inspiration was. You know, look, consider, gaze, find, f- find, find your own voice. Um, so if you're a bit frustrated because you you know you you've got a full time job and you can't get out travelling and all the things, just find some time, some solace with your camera, um, whether it be in your local park or in your back garden, just down the river, out with the kids, you know, walking the street, you know, just just find your own voice. You don't be frustrated because you're not hiking up the hills of Scotland or, you know, the Oregon coastline or, you know, you're not on holiday in Iceland, they'll still be there. They'll still be there for you. Yeah, no, it's, 
especially useful advice now that gas is so expensive. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd say even further, you know, get on your bike, don't even get in your car. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. That's good advice too, for sure. <laughs> I think gas might still be a bit cheaper in the, in the States from what it is in the UK, but it's, it's, it's prohibitively expensive, you know, to go anywhere. Um, so, go, you know, go on foot or go on your bike. Photographs are there everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point, uh, not every outing with your camera has to be of some epic scene that is going to get a ton of likes on Instagram or whatever. Like it, it, I think giving yourself permission to find something that's a little bit closer to home that maybe is personal and that other people haven't seen before is in a lot of ways probably going to make you stand out from all those other images. Yeah, I think so. Something that if, if it moves you emotionally, it may well move somebody else emotionally. You know, if it's been, if it has a bit of you in it, I think, um, as I say, you know, I could go out and take pictures of castles on coastline here, but there'll be thousands and thousands of images of castles on coastline taken today, but there won't be many images taken of a piece of kelp, you know, just popping up and above the ocean, you know, just catching the light for a second. And they're the sort of things that excite me. You know, that, that's, that moves me emotionally. And there aren't many of those images being taken today compared with the iconic um, scenes. So, yeah, I, I, I think just get people, you just see what, what what's in front of you. Yeah. That could be well, in your garden. And if you know, taking pictures of the coastline and the castle is what excites you. That's cool too. But um, if it's not, then you're in luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Matt, Matt, you say you're balancing the career with your photography as well. So how, how are you finding yourself, um, you know, scratching that itch to get out there and be creative all the time? Yeah, I'm, you know, kind of intentionally – uh, back in 2015, I decided to move here to where I'm at now, which is, you know, 30 minute drive from arguably the best mountain range in North America, which I've grew up in, in terms of climbing mountains and loving being in the mountains. And then an hour away from me, I've got, you know, Utah and Arizona. And so for me, it's like carving out, you know, five, six, seven days at a time where I can get out and explore some of those areas more, more passionately and more intimately. And, and, you know, with no expectation, just, uh, getting out there and, and experiencing these places that I've come to love and, and hope that I come home with something really exciting and also being totally fine if I don't. Yeah. I think that's an important point about having no expectations because, you, you can't you can't force the issue. I was out for a couple of hours first thing this morning. We had another lovely uh, morning here with, with quite nice light actually first thing. Um, but I went out and I didn't I didn't take the camera out of the camera bag. Nothing nothing resonated in terms of my creativity. It wasn't that I wasn't inspired. I was inspired, you know, but my expectations were, you know, were, were what they. My expectations were if I get something, that's great. And if I don't, I won't be disappointed because the experience has been brilliant. 
Yeah, and I think to that point, I think sometimes I don't know about you, but I I know I've sometimes I'll try to force it, like, oh, I have all my camera gear with me. I gotta do something. And I don't necessarily think that usually results in very good photos. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I go back to my point about always having a camera with me because sometimes the opposite works, doesn't it? You know, that actually something really catches your eye and think, oh, well, that's great. And fortunately, uh, you know, I'll have something to be able to do that with, capture that with. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about how you transitioned from your full-time career with a global organization into photography. Right. Um, well, to be able to do this, you kind of got to, I suppose, understand a little about, about the economics of the UK. Um, I lived in the southeast of England in, in a in a town which was very close to London. House prices are massive down there. They're huge. They're, maybe they were two or three times house prices here. So I was able to sell the family home uh, with my wife's agreement, actually, um, which it always helps. That's, that's usually uh, important. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be to be fair, she did suggest it. She said, "You know, okay. you can, you can, you can do this. There's a way we can do this. We can downsize, uh, which we did, and um, mm. that there's ways in which financially we can do this without having to have massive pressures on us to pay off mortgages, and yeah. you know, and and that's the way we could we could do it. We we're in a position where." Yeah, an enviable position, I agree, a fortunate position where we could downsize our home and uh and, and take some pressure off us in terms of income. I don't think I would get the satisfaction from my photography in the way I do if I had great um financial pressures for it to provide an income. People who do manage to make photography provide an income, I I admire them greatly because um, that requires a level of commercial astuteness, which I don't really aspire to in my photography. I'm not that commercially minded in terms of my photography. I'm, um, and I'm fortunate that I don't have to um, pursue that side of it so rigorously. Um, and I can develop my creative side a lot more. Yeah, along those lines... And I know I'm painting with a pretty big paintbrush here, but I find that often people who do need to depend on it for their for their income and it's high pressure, high stakes in terms of being able to put food on the table or not. I think it has the tendency to change who you are as a photographer and what you take photographs of and how you take photographs and how you present your work. And I think it it can cause all kinds of interesting side effects in people's path in photography yeah definitely um i i if if i had that sort of pressure on me i probably wouldn't be taking the photo sort of photographs i've been taking over the last two years because they i don't think they are conventionally that kind of commercial type of images that would sell although Having said that, um, they have been the sales of the sales of prints that I've made in the last two years have been pictures of sandstone and seaweed. So, yeah, <laughs> who, who who knows? Maybe there is a, a market there that 
we, it isn't so recognisable as I say the more iconic type of images. Yeah, I mean to be fair though, uh, you know I think I know I haven't been following your work for a long time, but I would say that I could see how it would be very compelling for someone who is very into unique artwork to find your work of value and of interest because it is so different and well executed and interesting to look at. So I don't think, I think you give yourself a little bit more credit. (laughs) Oh, thank you for that, Matt. Um, Anyway, somebody likes it out there because some people have been buying it as well. And and in terms of being, um, I I, I don't think it's unique, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's what I feel. And I, I really enjoy when a, when a photograph comes together and I just see something, I think, actually, that's a piece of rock, but it, it, it looks like the shape of a figure or, you know, that looks like a torso or, or an animal or something like that. I think, wow, that, that's a discovery. You know, that's, a, that's the spirit of those rocks kind of telling me something there. So I'll try and capture that as best I can as well. And, and some people really, I know, you know, respond really positively to those, uh, so I like to um, take images that are natural and believable, but kind of just stretch the imagination a bit with being not really incredulous, just to ask the so, so, so people can ask questions about them. So is that really what I think of it? Or what was the scale of that? Because I do like to have things that are a little bit ambiguous in terms of scale and um and, and, and uh, context, if you like, so there won't be many skies in there. So, so it, 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 it asks questions of the viewer. What is that exactly? Or how big was that? Or how close was he to the ground? Or what's the size of that rock? And, and those sorts of questions as well. And I don't like to make the answers very obvious. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. And I think, you know, I think it's understandable that especially as, as we're new in photography, we want to answer the question for the viewer because it's like, oh, I don't want anyone to not understand this. But I think at the same time, like that's what makes really good and interesting photography interesting and good is that it causes you to ask questions and wonder what what am I even looking at? Or, OK, like I understand what I'm looking at, but like how come it's that way or whatever? So I think the more we can leave up to the imagination for the viewer is actually probably better. Yeah, but and I think it's a fine line between it becoming believable and and that this incredulity uh, and it becoming incredulous because um, if you go too far one way, it will start to look like it's kind of a computer generated type of image or or, or just has been. Um, put together um from different sources perhaps and i like to make sure that i'm i'm the right side of that sort of believability like actually this is one shot taken in camera um but it looks a bit different for people so people can really have a think about what they're seeing as well if people see you know i do i did a presentation earlier this week and um i put a i put a shot up and i said uh, this one has been given, I gave it this title because, you know, it's a title that um, came to my mind because this is what I saw in it. And somebody said, actually, I see this in it. And I said, Do you know, I hadn't seen that myself. 
and for me, that's 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 success. That that means that I was so pleased. I nearly give this person a hug because because they, you know, saw something that I didn't in that image. So it means it's got a bit more depth, um, and and people are getting that out of uh, out of my images sometimes, which is great. Yeah, I'm curious uh, as you were evolving as a photographer with a career. Uh, did you ever find those um, financial pulls uh, on your creative side in terms of feeling like you had to monetize your photography or or has it always kind of been the path that you're on now? Um, there were times when I really considered going down the route of it being my me um, my, my key source of income, photography being my main. And then I did the sums and I thought, actually, the gap between earning, I don't know, $20 a year to earning $20,000 a year, you know, how is that gap bridged commercially? And uh, the numbers didn't add up, so I stuck to the full-time job. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, the math, that, that reality check sometimes can be helpful. <laughs> It's helpful and it can be – and I didn't allow it to be despondent. I thought, okay, that's the reality of the situation. Well, I'm fortunate enough to have – to do a full-time job that allows me, you know, so many weeks holiday, uh, that allows me to travel if I want to travel. So how do I get the satisfaction I need because this full-time job is actually paying for something that gives me – that really makes my heart sing, which is my photography. So you, we all live with compromises, um, and 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 that's just a compromise I came to terms with. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I know that you've been working more on kind of project-based photography, and I would love for you to talk a little bit about kind of why you've chosen to go that particular direction with your work. Yeah, I I find um, as you mentioned earlier in in, in you know our chat that. Um, uh, my website suggests sort of a generalist, but I found that a bit unsatisfactory. I found I wasn't really finding my own voice in any particular genre. You know, I love wildlife photography, but wildlife photography requires such a massive dedication and, you know, time spent in the field waiting for three seconds of, of action. You know, it, that's a, that's fantastic. I don't think I probably have the dedication to do that. Um, so I sort of put that to one side and said, actually, that, that's something I love doing and I will do wildlife photography as best I can. But if I'm going to be really good at it, if I'm going to be the best at it and, you know, second is the first of the losers here and I, and I can't be second. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have to find something that I really feel as if I can um, explore on my own terms. And, and that's why I've become a bit more project based because I, I, I feel almost possessive that this is my project and I will, you know, I, I want to be, it, it sounds very arrogant to say I, I, I want to be the best, but I, I want to be kind of recognized for, for that field. And I think, um, somebody gave me some good advice a few years ago and said, you're taking more seriously in photography if you're known for something, you know, something fairly specific. And I think that's very true. That wasn't my main driver, but it was certainly in the, in, in the back of my mind. And I like taking projects as far as I can take them. Um, 
I don't know where the stop, the end point is, by the way. My current project of intimate landscapes of the coast, I kind of haven't exhausted that yet. I don't know how far to go with that. Um, but I'm sure the, there'll become a point where inspiration um, starts to filter out and I'll look elsewhere. Yeah, I was going to say, like, keep doing it until it's no longer enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's really enjoyable. Maybe it will never change because my subject matter is constantly changing day to day, season to season, almost hour to hour, tide to tide, you know. So why, you know, I, I can't see me moving on for a while from what I've found as my um, current niche anyway, because I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I want to I wanna drill a little deeper into something you just said that kind of struck a chord with me kind of more personally anyway. <laughs> Uh, you, you had said that you want to be known for something, right? Like to be noticed. I don't think those are exact words, but, and I, and I appreciate that you said that wasn't your main driver, but I think we would all probably be lying a little bit if we didn't have some of that going on in our minds in terms of what's driving us to, to make images, you know, to some degree or another for each and each person. And I'm, and I'm curious for you, like, what percentage of is that for you? And uh, do you find that to be a positive or a negative thing? To be to be known, or to be, yeah, like having that as a motivator. Um, I would say about yeah. I, we 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 all like to, you know, confidence in photography is a very very fragile thing. I think. And to get some positive feedback from what you're doing can be inspiring and, and in, in, in very enforcing and well in terms of, you know, trying, trying to get more out of that as well. So part of the driver is, is I think to, if I, if, if people appreciate my work, I'm inspired to do more of that similar sort of work. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure that answers your question though, man. What if, uh, what if literally nobody liked it? Um, if I like it, that's okay. Um, but I still would question, actually, you know, maybe I'm not doing it so well if nobody kind of likes it because there's a lot of work out there that I kind of might not rate, and I think a lot of people like that. So what am I doing wrong? So there is a certain validation, I think, um, that that really helps. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I love feedback, you know, and, and I say, right, my social media following, um, is, is, is not huge, um, but it still feels very personal to me. And I answer every comment personally to people. And I, I, you know, I, I, I look at their feeds and their grids and on Instagram and those sorts of things as well, because, um, it means something to me that, that personal comment that somebody has, stopped over my image rather than just flick on to the next image in Instagram and they've stopped and managed to to appreciate it to the extent where they feel it worthy of a comment. That's great feedback for me. Um it's not it's not my only driver because um I'm also experimenting as well. You know, I'll put things on social media and I think I kinda like that, but will the rest of the world like it? And you know, so there's a there's a little bit of trial and error going on sometimes as well, and also when I take images and I'm not really that sure about them, I let them marinate for a while. Yeah. It might be months, it might be a year, 
and then you post it and everyone goes, wow, that's crazy good. You know, that's wonderful. And you think, okay. Or you post it and you think, hmm, uh, my first instincts were right. <laughs> it's not so good. <laughs> yeah. I'm always, it's always interesting. I've had a few of those uh, experiences over the last couple of years where I'll, you know, myself, I, you know, in the moment, I thought it was a pretty neat photo, but I, you know, I wasn't like blown away by anything, but I thought it was just different and interesting. And so, ah, oh, what the heck, I'll put it out there and see what happens. And, you know, you're like, oh, maybe like two people like it. And then all of a sudden, all these people are like, that's the best photo you've ever taken. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, it's yeah. just so funny how, how we have these kind of disconnected um, views of our work that's so different than what our audience has of our work, you know? Yeah, and I think I think that 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 that, that feedback really does help because you know when I I, I say to people, um, it's very diff- difficult, as we all know as photographers, to step back and separate yourself from the emotion you felt when you took that image. And I always use the example, you know, if you've been trekking through day, three days through a jungle and, you know, you've slept in a hammock and been eaten by mosquitoes and you take a, a, a you know, a, a picture of a, a rare snake, for example, and you get back and you say, wow, you know, this, that, that's great because I'm, I'm really attached with the hardship that it took to get that image. And then you step out in your back garden and you've got a glass snake in the back garden. You take an image five times better, but you actually, you don't think that's quite as good because you haven't had to really put your mind and your body and your soul into capturing that, you know, to get that sort of separation of the emotion from taking the image is, is a really difficult thing to do. Um, and you can put that separation in time. So it was take it a year ago and try and separate. I also um, uh, there's a kind of kind of thing I do on on when I'm editing. Um, I flip things around uh, upside down and left to right to try and disassociate myself from the scene of when I took it. So I'm trying to see it in a in a slightly in, in a in a very in a more distant in a distant way, uh, like somebody who hadn't been there and, and, and taken that image as well. And it's kind of to, to lose that familiarity that the time I, I actually snapped, snapped that image. That's so interesting uh, because, you know, as someone, a lot of my favorite photos that I'm like, quote unquote, known for are photographs from the tops of mountains at sunrise and sunset here in Colorado, which requires a decent amount of effort to execute. And of course I have all these emotional attachments to all these photographs as you're describing. I'm very aware of those, of that as it it being a challenge in terms of being objective about the photo. Um, And sometimes I wonder for myself anyway, if I spend more time trying to instill what I felt into the photo, will that convey to the audience and will it make it a better photograph? Because I, f- I feel like if you don't, if you try to completely detach yourself, that has risks as well. As, I mean, I think it has lots of benefits like you're describing, but I also think it has a risk of taking away what makes it special. Yeah, it does. Um, and, and uh, you know, when I'm taking images, I want to convey some of the 
you know, joy, the emotion, the happiness that I felt when I actually took that image. And I want that to come through. So you're absolutely right what you say. You can't, you know, if you if you take that away completely, that emotion, well, then it might not not be in the image anyway. Um, it's it's that balance, isn't it, with, with, with kind of um, taking a step back from it and just saying, if I had, if that was the first time I saw that, would it move me? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard, especially like you said, when there's so much work that went into it, you know, in, in terms of creating yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I showed one on a presentation a couple of days ago. Um, and, uh, I, I looked at it on the screen. I glanced back at it on the screen. It's projected and I was talking and, I, I said to the audience, I said, well, you know, that, that's, uh, that's so and so and so and so. And, and that's on the, the black cloud and the distance is a snowstorm. And I thought the, the reason I've had to say that is because it's not really a very engaging image. I shouldn't have to explain what was about to happen. I should just be silent and, and let the image speak for itself. But because I had to do that, you know, it's not going to be in the next presentation I do. <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah. There's maybe multiple types of audiences for our work, right? Like there's the general public who might not care how it was created. And then there's maybe like other photographers or your friends or your family who, you know, they have a maybe a deeper appreciation of what it took to make the photograph. And, you know, I was talking to several friends of mine who were like, yeah, I don't care what the general public thinks about my photos. I just want my friends to really like them. And I, that kind of resonates a little bit with me because they, I guess they just have like a little bit different understanding of, of what it would actually take to make that image. And, um, and I know that the, neither approach is probably more valid than the other, but I think it is interesting to think about how there might be different audiences for the work. Yeah. And, 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 and there's kind of the other audience, which is the audience of photographers. Are you taking pictures for top photographers to appreciate? Or, or those people who aren't photographers, because um, they're, they're just they're different, but they're both very valid audiences as well. And and um, sometimes I kind of stray into the territory of taking pictures for photographers rather than what really resonates with. Doesn't matter who the audience is, you know. Does does it speak? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I often fall into that trap. I must say. Yeah, and it's interesting because, I mean, it's probably like a Venn diagram, right? Like one circle is what speaks to us as a ourselves. And then there's another circle of what speaks to the general public. And then there's another circle of what speaks to other photographers. And then like the sweet spots, like everything in the middle there. <laughs> mm, yeah, or the specialist or somebody who... I, 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 don't, I don't know which audience I kind of... I would say I would pander to the most I I don't really but I I probably really appreciate it when other artists not necessarily photographers appreciate my work yeah 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 same yeah that's why yeah I agree I agree with that yeah although on the flip side it's you know I think you were alluding to this a minute ago but I think it's dangerous to try to cater to any audience you know I think the more we can be true to what satisfies ourself, you know, I think the audience will come eventually. Like you said earlier, you know, if we find it exciting and we put our heart and soul into it, someone else will probably see that. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
it's it's the end of the day. It's 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 uh, it's our truth, isn't it? You know, it's that's what I say. This is my truth, and if I present something of my work that I'm I'm proud of, hopefully somebody will see that. And it's quite interesting because, um, you know, I I when I as I say, I'm I'm, I'm quite. Um, Cognizant of the feedback I get, whether it be social media presentations uh, or family or, or whoever. And sometimes the strangest things, you know, uh, people say, Oh, I absolutely love that. And I think, okay, that seemed a bit ordinary to me. That seemed a bit average to me. And that's the point I say, tell me what you like about it. Tell me what it said, says to you, because what it says to you, maybe there's something I can take away from that and just try a bit more of and just tease out you know pull the strings on that and see what comes out um, a little bit more so it's it's kind of feeding feeding fresh ideas into me as well which is which is a is is you know kind of inspirational as well at the same time oh yeah i love that that's that's a great point that's a very good point all right well shifting gears a little bit kind of along the same lines in terms of external validation um, you know, I've noticed that you've entered a lot of competitions over the years, and I'm curious as to what drives you to enter competitions. Um, it's yeah, I, I, I've I've always been quite a competitive individual. You know, whether it be at sport, whether it be at school doing exams or whatever, I, I'm I'm quite competitive. You know, whether doing a quiz in a newspaper with my family, you know, you know, I don't want to be second. I've got to be the winner. But that's, that, that's my nature. So entering competitions fits with my nature there. And I'm, I'm, I'm not disappointed if I don't win. I'm not one of those that kind of hangs, hangs on that or, or, or has to find therapy if he comes, if he doesn't get a shortlist or something, you know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't matter that much to me. But if it is successful, it's great. And it's exposure as well. You know, which, which I like. Um, you know, I, I like to. Whenever you, you do get exposure from doing well in a competition, um, you know that manifests itself in maybe a few more workshops or invitations to talk. I love talking about photography, and if somebody invites me to present, that's great. You know, that's fantastic because it is a subject um, I do love love to talk about. So yeah, competitions. The the it's I, it's something. I enjoy. It's not something I put too much stead to if I don't do so well in. But I, I love, I love doing well in it. We all love success, don't we? Yes, absolutely. I like what and you said. Fo- <laughs> Sorry, Matt, but they do focus the mind as well in terms of um, filtering your own work. You know, say to, to to look at that and say, actually, is that a winner or do I just like it? Yes, I wish someone would have told me that. Um, long time ago I feel like I always enter my favorite photos instead of the ones that probably would do well just because I I'm like oh, I love this so much I I want other people to like it too you know and uh for whatever reason it's usually not the case <laughs> yeah and it's usually the ones that you don't think will do well that do well and I, I I've not fathomed that one out either <laughs> yeah so like Take take your twenty favorite images, and then the ones you like the least are the ones you should enter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that, that's I always it would be great to have somebody to 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 go through them with me, you know, and just say actually that one should go in, and that one isn't. But you know, whose opinion can you trust other than your own? Really? I know. You've got to trust your own. I know, and you know, I, I have a lot of friends in photography, but. Sometimes people aren't always super honest with you about 
you know, they, you know, they want to still be your friend. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is totally fine. I get it. You know, don't want to make your enemies with your friends. So <laughs> it is. Yeah. There's a definite skill with giving uh, photography feedback without demoralizing people or, or alienating them, isn't there? Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, we just have to accept the fact that even if we really respect somebody, if they give us feedback and we, it still doesn't sit with well with us, that's okay. Like they're okay to have their opinion. It might, doesn't have to be the same as yours. Exactly. You know, take it away. It's a gift at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 Well, to, you had alluded this to this earlier, but tell us about your upcoming book. Yeah. Well, um, it's self-published. Um, it's called Shoreline, and uh, it's available through my website. And um, it's really the distillation of the last three or four years, just taking images of my local patch um, of the rock formations. We have some amazing sedimentary sandstones and shales um, on this Northumberland coastline. Um, and I, I've been... I started on the journey a couple of years ago just looking for pattern and form and um, shapes and colours that really resonated with me. And then the project moved on a bit where I wanted to try and get some movements um, into the into what is a fairly static subject. Um, so I'd kind of include the sea or the tide or seaweed sweeping in and then expanded the project a bit more to include some of the shapes in the sands and how they're sculpted by the wind and the tides moving in and out. Um, so it's just a, a project of, of many, many hours spent uh, exploring my local coastline there's the sort of intimate details rather than the large, um, you know, vistas, as it were. And, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed putting it together. I really, really enjoyed putting the book together. And um, I thought I'd self-publish it, which and hopefully it's a limited, there's a limited number of copies. I, I'm, I'm just um, printing 300 copies. Okay. So, yeah, which is a kind of a small print run, but that's, a little bit of a confidence thing and a little bit of a logistics thing as well. You know, I mentioned downsize. I don't really have a place where I can stack up thousands and thousands of books to mail out right. over the next few months, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, that's that's um, that's where I am with the book. It's uh, It's been a labor of love, something I really, really enjoy. And uh, do you just have the images or are, they, or is there a text that accompanies images? Or there's, some, you... there's some text. There's introduction from my good friend, uh, Rachel Talibart. Uh, oh, okay. In, the introduction and, and a couple of pieces of text as we go through as it sits together. It's a hardback and, uh, 100 and 120 pages, something like that, I think. Nice. I probably and... should know how many pages it should know. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so don't, yeah, don't feel bad. I have the same problem. Uh, what publisher did you go through? I didn't. I have self-publishing. Oh, so, I mean, who? Well, I meant printer, sorry. Oh, the printer is a, is a company in the UK, which I'll, I'll name if you don't mind. They're called XYZ. They've been really great to work with. I, I don't know if they're, they're huge or not, but they've been they've been really super in, in terms of, you know, uh, sending through hard copy proofs and just walking me through the experience of getting the printing done and the and the hard copy cover and stuff like that. I, I put the book together myself using uh, Adobe's InDesign program. 
mm-hmm. um, which was a really interesting learning curve. I quite enjoyed that. And, I, you know, I, I took my cues and from a number of videos and a, a stack of other photo books I've got, you know, and so how other people have put it together as well. So it's been a great exercise. And, and you know, needless to say, I, I hope it sell, sells well. And if it does, there'll be another book <laughs> in a couple of years' time. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's like the ultimate uh, like end goal for a lot of us in this field is having feeling like we have a body of work that is of high enough quality and of a you know more a cohesive enough subject to where we can present our work in a published book. I think that's a that's a goal. I think anyone could have. I was gonna say should, but if that's not your thing, that's cool. But I personally, I think that's a really cool thing to try to do. Yeah, thank you, Matt. It could have been twice as long. And and actually editing out the images to find enough, you know, uh, variation in the types of images I'm showing in there and are not being kind of um, repetitive on a certain theme as well. And just having that sort of big f- f- variety uh, was a was a was a good exercise in just, you know, filtering and distilling out the best really to to, to bring that through. And uh, as I say, it's been I've enjoyed the experience so far. Um, and, um, I do joke, you know, I, I don't have any kids to leave on the planet when I've gone. So maybe there's a book somewhere, you know, somebody will find a book 200 years later and say, Hey, who was this David Southern guy? Pictures of the coast. Who knows? I love that too. I mean, I think, especially as I get older, I, you know, these kind of thoughts filter into your mind about what happens to my photographs when I die. And I think, Man, that that's a whole that's a whole topic of conversation that I I would love to explore with somebody someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, who's going to read all those ones and zeros up in a cloud somewhere? You know, in a hundred years' time, and what will you, what what will we be reading them with? So yeah, but you know, we'll still have eyes and two hands to open a book. So yeah, maybe that's a legacy thing as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny, like. Why do we care what people think about us after we're gone? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's such, it, the human mind is just full of surprises, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. I can't answer that last uh, point. <laughs> yeah, I can't either, actually. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, David, I had one last question for you, and that is who would you recommend our listeners learn more about? Well, um, a few a few years ago, I joined the Parhelion Collective, which is a group of fantastic photographers. I think it was first initiated by Rachel Talibar, who you've had on your um, on on your uh, podcast before. So, I'll recommend kind of any members of the Parhelion group, but in particular, there's uh, one lady called Sarah Medway. And she works at a not-for-profit organization, the Big Cat Sanctuary, uh, looking after big moggies. And she takes some really fantastic images of, of big cats, endangered species. And, uh, I think she, she'd be really, really interested, not only to talk about the cats, but her photography is fantastic of that subject as well. Awesome. That sounds great. And, uh, Matt, Matt Cattell as well. 
He's a Barnes Park Healing Collective. He uh, he's been uh, winner of Landscape Photographer of the Year a few years ago. Uh, he's got a really fantastic portfolio of images. Very de- very dedicated. Has to balance his work life and his family life with with taking pictures as well, and does that so successfully. So that would be another person I'd, I'd recommend as well. Brilliant. Uh, do you happen to know much about the impetus of the Parhelion Collective? Like, what was the whole reason why it was created? And um, well, we it was. I think it was just like-minded, enthusiastic, nature-based, outside-based photographers. Uh, we don't have a mission as such. Um, it's it's not like a club. We're just a group of enthusiastic photographers with kind of like-minded values. Um, just taking photographs and, uh, we like to say we're awesome, but, um, that's, uh, that's our only opinion. That's our own opinion of ourselves, but hey. <laughs> no, that's cool. I just was curious. <laughs> I, I'm always thinking about starting something like that for people that I admire, but doing it in a way that I don't know. I was, that's why I was curious. Yeah. There's, there's, there's seven of us and we, we, um, post a weekly, uh, uh, we call Pohelion Wednesday, so we have a regular post on Instagram, and we all take turns each on on uploading. Uh, we're going to be working. We've had an exhibition together, which was really good. We're putting a e-zine together for later in the year. We've had one e-zine a couple of years ago, so it's a very um, loose uh, structure in, in terms of a collective. It's just nice to have a group of like-minded people who kind of share our enthusiasm and our values to to just bounce ideas off and, and work together, you know, makes you feel part of something. Yeah, it's a great way to grow your audience too, I would imagine. Yeah, oh, I'm sure smart. because we all grow from each other, exactly. Yeah, that's very smart, very smart. Cool, thanks, I appreciate it. Well, David, this has been uh, just a real joy and a treat and I uh, look forward to spending more time with your work and hopefully you'll be entering some more images to the Natural Landscape Photography Awards uh in year two but uh really just keep up the great work thank you Matt. really appreciate it. it's been a really uh it's been a great pleasure uh, having this chat with you yeah absolutely all right thanks to david for the wonderful chat on the podcast today i had a great time speaking with you It was also great hearing you talk about the nuts and bolts of how you got into the zone for creating personal work in our conversation over on Patreon. So if folks are not supporting the show on Patreon yet, that might be a good incentive. Cheers, David. Speaking of Patreon, I need to thank our most recent supporter, Mary Brisson. I appreciate your support, Mary. Next up on the podcast, we have Brent Clark, who is quickly becoming one of my favorite photographers. After that, we have Holger Mischke, who is a German photographer with a lot to say. Also on deck, but yet to be recorded, are Simon Baxter, Tim Baca, Aman Chokshi, Michael Rubin, Theo Bosboom, Colin Sillerud, and Joel Hazelton. We have quite a packed summer lined up for you. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.